Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Well, it's good to see everyone. Uh, welcome to Jubilee Church. Um, I am the, the, the pastor, not the, the worship leader, and uh, I don't sing. I, I tried to sing, but apparently that was, that was probably the, the worst affirmation I've ever received about anything I've ever done <laughs> in my life. And uh, I'll take that feedback, and I'll move on. Um, I want to welcome those of us following online, especially if you're at Asbury College. I've heard a lot of people at Asbury College from our church going there to check it out. And so if, if you're, we may have another campus location at Asbury College, and so uh, we'll see what happens. Um, well, growing up, I don't know if you guys, um, you know, went fishing when you were younger or go fishing now, but we went fishing a bunch. Yeah, uh, when I was younger. In fact, that was my only really experience of eating fish was the fish that we caught. I don't think I ever had fish at a restaurant growing up. And so the kind of fish, you know, that you would catch in rivers and lakes and ponds and that kind of thing, you know, it's catfish, it's, you know, bluegill or bass or whatever. And, uh, and, uh, so the, and that was the only fish we ate. So we cleaned the fish. And I don't know if you've ever cleaned fish before, uh, but it's not pretty. It, it smell, this fish smell, is, it stays with you for a really, really long time. It's pretty, pretty pungent. But that's all that we had. That's all that we, that we knew about fish. And so uh, I'd say like maybe when I was a teenager, it was probably the first time I've ever heard of, the, heard of sushi. And somebody asked me, like, would you want to eat sushi? I'm like, I don't think so. I'm not going to eat raw, smelly fish. I mean, that just sounds disgusting. And so I went on in life uh, having that opinion of, of sushi and and when I was 27 years old, um, I believe it was 27, I, I was a financial advisor and I was over at, at a client's house one evening and they had just gotten out of, out of work, I think a little bit late, and they had picked up some sushi. And they're like, do you want sushi? And I'm sitting there thinking, oh man, this is, this is bad news because no, I don't want sushi is what I'm thinking. But like, you know, for those who are in sales or some kind of service industry, you know that, you know, you just do what ever the client wants you to do. <laughs> and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, yeah. So anyway, so I eat this sushi and I got to tell you, I don't even remember anything else that night except that sushi. I don't think I even told them about what, you know, financial, you know, who cares about your financial future? I, I just was <laughs> scarfing the sushi and I've become a, a sushi fan ever since. In fact, like it's, you know, we, you know, it's obviously expensive. We don't, do it that much, but if something good happens in our household, uh, we'll go out to sushi. Uh, if something, if mom and dad do something really bad, we'll go out to sushi. And so, like, it's our kids are like something good or something really bad, hopefully, because they love it. And so, even my youngest, they, you know, she's 13, she loves, she loves, loves, loves sushi, and we make our own sushi. Anyway, but if I had never experienced it, I, I never would have. Wanted it. In fact, my only experience of what I thought was sushi was was uh, raw catfish, and so, and I was like, those aren't even the same things. But it, it but it is something I needed to experience, and I and I bring that up is because God is someone who's better experienced than explained. 
In fact, sometimes our explanations fall so short that we make it worse. Here's the good news. In Psalm 34, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man, happy is the man who takes refuge in him. Relationships are something that you experience. Religion is something that you explain. Um, You can try to explain a relationship. You can try to explain a person. But actually, it's way better to experience them. In fact, if you would have given me uh, an explanation, uh, my wife and I, for those who know us, are really different people. And if we would have taken like compatibility tests and all that kind of stuff, like we would have failed miserably. Our, this marriage shouldn't have happened. Well, how did it, how do we get together? Well, I experienced her and uh, that changed everything. And relationships are to be experienced. For those who do travel for work or you do things that, that take you away from your loved ones, you know, one of the phrases that we have is like, you, you're a sight for sore eyes. Like it's that, and what we're talking about is that experience when we see someone that we've been away for a long time. And, you know, yeah, there's phone calls and texts and even Zoom, but it, it, there's something about experiencing them. Like if you're a parent, like you know the way, you know, the top of your, the top of your kid's head smells. Like you're aware of that smell. Like you're aware of them. And it, it's, it's a relationship that God invites us into. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Religion is like, you know, endure and survive, and, and, maybe, and maybe you can fit in. But, the, but what Jesus invites us in, into something that is experience, and, and, and most people define what it means to be a Christian by these, these rules that you have. And God does have these rules, but they're not the pathway to his love. They are the product of his love. Like we, we, we you know, there's things that we do in our household that have Hey, we want you guys to do these certain things. But I hope that when our kids um, leave the house, and I'm not saying I hope our kids leave the house, but when they leave the house, I, my hope is when they look back, they're not going to be like, oh, parent, they made, they're the ones who made us do our homework, and they're the ones who made us clean our room and brush our teeth or whatever the thing that they don't like to do. But never say, oh, my parents, they laughed with us, they cried with us, they prayed with us, they had fun with us. There was, it's a relationship that they, that they want. They want to come back. And, and I think that that is true with God. I believe with all my heart, this is my theory, that everyone in their, the deepest part of them is craving to connect in a relationship with the God of the universe. Even those who just flat out say, I don't believe in God, I don't trust that God. It's too bad because God has put a little bit of himself in them. God has put eternity in their hearts and and we try to zigzag through life looking for what that is. And our, our soul doesn't find its rest until it, it finds its rest in a relationship with God. And I'm bringing this up is because you and I, you and I as, as Christians, we are witnesses to this relationship. Most of what people will know about God most of people, what they'll experience about God is through their experience with you and I. Here's a quote. People's experience of God has a lot to do with their experience of us. Why do people deconstruct? Well, 
To be quite frank, they've either never tasted or experienced Jesus, or what they tasted was bland or rotten. We explained raw catfish and never invited them through our lives to actually taste and see. How, does, how do people know that there's a Father in heaven who loves them? Because we are demonstrations. We are exhibit A, exhibit B, exhibit C, D, E, F, G of his grace and his mercy, of his love in our life. So what are people supposed to experience? They're supposed to experience as salt and light. Salt and light. Salt is, had three purposes in the ancient world as a preservative, which you probably heard that a lot, that, uh, that we preserve culture. And if you look back throughout history, you could see where Christianity has stepped into culture and wherever it has, the culture has improved. It's been blessed. If you go back to uh, the Abrahamic uh, covenant and the blessing that he gave Abraham, remember Father Abraham? I'm not going to sing that song either. Don't worry. I learned my lesson. I won't do it. But he said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless nations. You're going to be, you're going to, they're going to experience you and they're going to experience blessing. And, you know, Christianity, Christianity didn't like pop up like in the 80s or something. And now it's, in, it's been going on for a long time. Jesus said, I will build my church and not even the death of, not even the gates of, of, of Hades, the realm of the dead will will come against it, will have any success. And, 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 the, and, you know, they, I mean, experienced some pretty tough times in the first 300 years, fed the lions, forced to meet in caves and, and lit as torches as entertainment and, and tried to squelch there. And it, and it did nothing but thrive. And it went through periods, the church went through like really dark hypocrisy and um, in, in twisting of God's word. And it, and it went through time, ups and downs and all around. But through that, it's thrived because of this is something that God is building through his church. So, so when people get like nervous about the external world and like, oh my gosh, the external world. And like, it's coming, it's going to do, it, there's been no external threat that has had even the slightest effect on what God wants to do in the world. The only thing that can thwart the purposes of God through you is you. I don't have time to go through all the stats, but if you do your own research, you'll find out that, that most people, if they have a, a positive experience with a Christian, the likelihood that they become a Christian themselves goes way up. If they have a negative experience with a Christian, the, the possibility of them becoming a Christian goes, goes way down. There's a lot at stake, and that's what Jesus said. Jesus, if Jesus was here, this is what he would say. And I know that because that's what he did say. He said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. This is his plan B, and there isn't a plan B. Wait, this is his plan A. Did I say plan B? I'm, my, I'm not good at alphabet either. Anyway, this is his, he has one plan. Okay, I'll go with numbers. He has one plan. He said in Ephesians 3 that through the church, through the church, through this, what we're doing here, and our lives together, that the manifold wisdom of God would be put on display to the principalities and powers. And this is something he decided before the foundation of the world. When did the world start? Who knows? Before that, this was his plan, that he would use you as witnesses, as exhibits to his grace 
and mercy. So what are the problems? There are two problems. One, here it is. You, you and I lose our saltiness. You and I hide our light. Those are the two, the two big problems. We um, lose our saltiness. We hide our light. And so um, I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to talk about how we, uh, what does it mean to lose our saltiness? Well, because at some level, we have to own our witness, right? Um, Jesus said that people are going to experience uh, me through you. That whatever the world thinks of me, or whatever the world thinks of you, they're going to think of me in large part. Um, and so when, when we look at the world and, and people are confused about what the gospel is, it's because, in part, it has to do with us. When people look at the God and they see this is the picture of God, a lot of that has to do with our witness. So we have, we have to own that. And we have to take it seriously. So what does it mean to lose saltiness? It means to lose, it is to, is to stop experiencing God. Because to be salt isn't to be a person of like, oh, I'm a person of truth and I... And I, and I just stand up for what is true. Well, there's, there's a part of that that's real, but what the, the, our confession isn't like we figured something out. Our confession isn't like, hey, we have all the answers. Our confession is that we were broken and God fixed us, that we were, we were lost and God found us, that we were a mess and he put us back together. So the, the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews the writer of Hebrews was talking to a church who were at risk of falling away. They had coming under a lot of persecution. It wasn't cool to be a Christian, and they were wondering what they do. And they and the plea from the writer was, "Do not uh, lose. Don't do not let go of your confession. Hold to your confession." And that confession was that Jesus, that we are not trusting in in our performance and what we do and don't do. We are trusting in the performance. Of Jesus, and one of the things that that causes us to lose our saltiness is when we when we let go of that confession. In other words, we stop experiencing Him. We stop experiencing His healing in our life. We stop experiencing His goodness in our life. We don't change. And and, and the Bible says that when we don't confess our sin, when we don't admit that we're wrong, it's another way of saying that God is a liar and I am right. 1 John says that, when you, that if you say that you have no sin, you are a liar. In other words, if you never admit that you have sin, that's another way of saying that you don't sin, is that you never, ever, ever admit it. So we want to, pres- we want to keep experiencing God. Brennan Manning said this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. It, what God does in our life reminds me of the, of the Japanese art form, kintsugi, which these are, the uh, Japanese, they, they, they like to, they're efficient people, they like to, they like to um, uh, preserve everything that they can. And so they came up with this art form that you could see here is where, where they take a broken piece of pottery. They wouldn't just throw it away. If they dropped it on the ground, they wouldn't throw it away. But with expensive metals, they would put it back together. And because of the time and the cost 
that goes into putting these broken pieces of pottery back together, they are far more valuable uh, restored than they ever were when they were whole. And this, this is a picture of you and I. That we are not those that say we are whole people. Like we, we have, we're, we're, there were nothing broken about us. But what we confess is that yes, we were lost. Yes, we were broken. But God, by his, the richness of his mercy, by the blood of his slain son, has put us back together. And they can see our brokenness. They can see our scars. And they see that we're not uh, puffing out our chest, but we are humbly saying, yeah, I am, I, I am resting and I am trusting in the grace and mercy of Jesus. And we're changed by this. And then we're not afraid to put this on display. So what do we communicate to a world? It's not that we, have, we are the answer. So we're compared, we're, it says that we are the light of the world, but we're, our light is, we're compared to a lamp. We're not compared to the sun. In other words, our light is derived, that he makes our appeal through us. And then when we, when we live with the reality that, man, we were broken and God fixed us, that we were lost and now we have been found, that God in his great, um, through his great riches of his mercy has put us back together. That compels us. In fact, that's what Paul says uh, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, 14. He says, uh, for Christ's love compels us. We get a case of the can't help it. We are so aware of what God has done to us, like we want to tell other people. Do you feel compelled to tell other people what God has done in your life? I just want to submit to us that maybe it's been a while, if that's true, it's been a while since God's done something in your life. And it's not because he doesn't want to. It's because you won't let him. James says that he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace. He wants to give you grace. And what, how you lose your saltiness is you stop experiencing Jesus. And you show up to a service and you show up to some other religious thing, you take in Christian content, and you do not change. You do not gather. See, that's one of the reasons why we're so big on community and getting in groups, because you need people around you, not where you just come in and say, man, my marriage is awesome, my life is awesome, my finances are awesome, my kids are awesome, everything's great. You know, things could be a little bit better. You know, I missed that one sale, but, you know, things could be a little bit better, you know, and then we move on. But coming in and being like, man, my, you know, my marriage is in trouble. My finances are in trouble. I'm struggling. I've got this temptation. I'm about ready to give in to this temptation. I have given in to this temptation. Will you pray for me? Will, will, will you begin to open up to other people and you allow these, the brokenness of your life to be put on display? So putting Jesus on display is not about bump, bumper stickers and billboards and shouting loudly from social media or whatever it is. It's not about speaking what the Bible says. It's about like obeying what the Bible says and having it filter through your life and you put your brokenness on display. Paul says, it is no longer I who live, 
but it's Christ who lives, check this out, through me. This Christian life isn't you in your own. Look at me, I'm Christianing, I'm reading my Bible, I'm doing Christian things. God has given you nothing in and of yourself to be a Christian. It's the hope of glory in us and through us. So his love compels us because we are convinced that one died for L. We are compelled, not by programs, not by podcasts, not by rules, not by religion. We are compelled by a relationship, specifically a relationship with a person who has loved us like no one else can love us. Have you experienced that love recently? You experience it over and over. He is moving you and he is molding you and he is shaping you from one degree of glory to the next. He is moving you, conforming you into the image of the Son. He's going to use good things. He's going to use bad things. He's going to use happy things. He's going to use painful things. He's going to use all kinds of things to mold you into this image. And it's going to look like a broken piece of pottery with his blood in the middle that's brought you back together. And here's what's cool. Um, if you read through the book of Corinthians, I, I think the, the, the church in Corinth was probably the most like the church in America. And here's what I mean by that. They were wealthy and they were really gifted. And Paul points that out. But they are also um, a little too into themselves. They were self-centered. They were not aware of the needs of others. They were very aware of their needs. They wanted... Uh, Paul, they, they were into like celebrity leaders. They wanted Paul to be, why don't you do a little song and dance for us, Paul? And, um, and so if you read that, one of the things that you'll notice, a clear theme as he says to them, and, and, it's, and I want us to hear this, is he would talk about, it's not, I didn't come to you in strength. I came to you in weakness. I didn't come to you with power in wise words, I came to you with foolishness. And this is what we put on display. In fact, one uh, passage, very famously, he says, he says, but he said to me, this is Jesus speaking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. What is he saying there? He's saying, I will put on display, I will shine the light on the weaknesses that I have because that's when Jesus gets put, his light gets put on display. Let me ask you, are you, are you, uh, are you uh, boasting about your weaknesses? Are you boasting about the, your weaknesses with the people you know? Are you boasting about your, your weaknesses to the people you work with? I mean, isn't that what social media is for, boasting about our weaknesses? Letting people know. Then he goes on. He says, For this, so that the power of Christ may rest on me for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you have bandwidth in your life for insults, hardships, calamities, Brendan Manning says this, in a futile attempt to erase our past, we deprive the community of our healing gift. 
If we conceal our wounds out of fear and shame, our inner darkness can neither be illuminated nor be a light for others. So in our humility, in our transparency, we, we build connection and we allow people to experience what God is really like. In our pride, we build walls and people have no idea. All we do, you know, we throw, and we throw truth grenades over the wall. Here, you want to know about Jesus? Here you go. When in reality, we're supposed to, we're, we're not, we're not, that's not what he's called us to be. He's called us to be exhibits of his grace and his mercy, boasting even in our own weaknesses so that he could be made strong. And so what people hear, if we're not, if we're not living these kind of lives, what they're hearing is like, hey, you want some raw catfish? No. We express to them the grace and mercy of Jesus because he does more than just make, he doesn't, he's not in the business of making bad people good. He's actually in the business of making dead people alive. And he puts it together. It says in Ephesians 5, 17, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine his light on you. And so one of the things that we do, we want to live purposefully like this salt and light, understanding like how people experience God, what they think of God is in large part their experience with us. And if that makes you feel, if that puts a lot of pressure on you, I, I want to do two things with that. One is I want you to feel that. And then secondly, I want you to, I want you to understand what the Bible's really saying. Because as soon as you feel like, oh my gosh, I could never be that for someone else, you would be right. But the whole point isn't, again, that you in of yourself would be amazing. The point is, is that Christ would live through you. And so when you're like, oh my gosh, I could never express the love and mercy of Jesus to me. You're right, you can't. You need God to come in and shine through you, which goes back to being willing to experience him and encounter him. So we want to live purposefully. And so we do something called bless, uh, B-L-E-S-S, -S, bless, that uh, God wants to bless us to be a blessing to others. That as we seek first the kingdom, which is righteousness, peace, and joy, that we're expressing the, the kingdom, not in and of our own strength, but because we are resting and trusting and receiving the authority of God in our lives and repenting of our sins and, and confessing to one another, being changed, remaining salty. Because if we, uh, if we don't do this, what, what does he say? He says, it's, if salt loses its saltiness, it's no longer good except to be trampled, thrown out and be trampled on men, that we become a punchline on late night TV that we're no longer good for anything if we, if we hold on to that. But, and the same thing with hiding our light. So we want to do, do both those things. So one is we want to live in, uh, with this acronym BLESS, which is to begin with prayer, which is basically just to live with awareness that God is at work and that God wants to use you to, to be a blessing for others. And the Psalm says that, that, um, that man makes his plans, but the, the steps of a man are established by the Lord. That God has, God has put in front of you good work. Ephesians 2.10, God has predestined good works for you to walk in every single day. Someone to love, someone to care for, someone to bless. Which means that we need to be aware of the manner of our life. 
uh, we need to be aware of the manner of our life. Colossians 5 says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer each person. So to be aware of your manner of life. Uh, secondly, we want to listen. The second element there is listen. And you know, this blew my mind, and this is very convicting for me. Jesus, in the Gospels, he asked 307 questions. How many in here know that he didn't ask questions to learn stuff? Like he didn't have anything to learn. But he asked 300, he didn't, he didn't listen to learn, he listened to love. He asked 307 questions. He was asked 183 questions. He was asked 108, eight of which he directly answered. He 40 times more listened than told people what he thought directly. That should speak something to us in our anxiousness. And then I'm, trust me, I'm talking to myself here. And our anxiousness to get the last word or to get our point across. But just to be listeners, to be listeners. Um, and then we want to uh, do hospitality, eat. The, the E is for eat. We want to be hospitality, open our lives, open our homes. It's not all about us. We want to live space, relational space, relational margin to open our lives with others and serve them. Serve them in the name, cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. You know, you've listened to them. You, you serve them in a lot of different ways. And then finally, tell our story. And the story that we tell is we show them essentially the picture of those bulls. We say to them like, man, I'm, I'm, I am far from a per. In fact, you're probably a better person than I am. Like, I just, I have so much. God has healed me so much. And here's all the areas of brokenness. This is what God has done in my life. And we become exhibits, our witnesses to what is true. See, that's what it is. We are witnesses. Some people think that we have to be, that we're like defense attorneys. Like we have to win the case. But Jesus is the defense attorney. He wins the case. We just give, a witness just tells their side of the story. That's all a witness does. And that's what you see through the gospels. Hey, tell us about this Jesus. He's, I don't know. I was blind and now I see. That's all I know. I was lame and now I walk. I was broken and now I'm put back together. I was lonely and he brought me into a family. That's what I know. We express what the, the brokenness of our life and how he has put us back together. And that's what, uh, I wanna, why don't you stand? I'm gonna read this poem And I want to pray for us. When you enter the beautiful city and the saved all around you appear, what a joy when someone will tell you, it was you who invited me here. And we have this amazing privilege to tell other people and to communicate the grace and mercy of God. I want us to see the importance of consistently experiencing Jesus. You'll lose your saltiness if you don't because you'll buy into the confession that you actually don't need him. You're, you just need, you know, Jesus is, you know, I was doing good. I just needed a little boost in my life. So I added Jesus. That's what you'll communicate. You'll communicate the wrong story. 
it won't be salt. It won't add flavor. It won't preserve. It won't, it won't do the things that you see throughout history that the church did. It, won't, it was used as an antiseptic. It won't bring that healing element to their life. Experience him. The writer of Hebrews says, today, if you hear his voice, respond. If you feel there's anything in your life that you feel like God nudging you to do something about, I just want to invite you to, to receive his mercy and grace. Allow that brokenness to be exposed so that he can heal it with the preciousness of his blood. Don't lose your saltiness. Don't stop experiencing him. Make it a daily habit, you know, getting into the word, getting into community, having other people uh, help you, spur each other on. So spur each other on to love and good deeds. That's talking about spurring each other on to experiencing what Jesus wants to do in and through you. Keep experiencing him. Remain salty. And then don't be afraid to display that. Don't be afraid to experience to uh, display your brokenness. Because if you are changed by Jesus, what they're going to see, they're going to see a masterpiece. They're going to see the beauty of his blood. They're going to see the beauty of his righteousness. They're going to see the beauty of his grace and mercy. And they will see what the Bible says when the Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. They'll see the relationship. They won't see the rule. When we, when we say unchanged and we put on display like what we know about the Bible, people see religion and rules. And they've had that. They've experienced that. Yes, but no thank you. But we put on display. Let our light shine. Let Jesus shine. We are lamps. He is the light. He is the light of the world. His light shines through us when we put on display our own brokenness, our own weakness and his grace and mercy. I just want to pray for us. Father, I just thank you for your grace and mercy in our life. And God, I just pray, Lord, that you would give us the, the, just the, the courage in your love for us. Lord, that we would be those that come to believe that you love us, that you haven't come to accuse us or condemn us. You didn't send the son in this world to condemn, to wag his finger. You came to save. You came to fix. You came to repair. God, may we be a salty people, a people that encounters you, that's changed by you. God, may we be so bold as to put that on display that others can come to know you. Not, Not put a lid on it, not try to hide it from others, trying to protect ourselves but shining that light on display. Jesus, you said that if we lifted up your name, not on a billboard, but with our lives, if we lift up your name, you would draw men and women unto yourself. If we allow people to see you through and in us, what a privilege. What a privilege it is that you've made our lives matter that you have called us to be your salt and your light.